Our sermon today is taken from Acts 2, 37 through 41. Here's the word of God. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So these who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Thus saith the Lord. Before we begin our sermon today, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would bless it to our hearts. I pray that you would be present, Lord, and you would be glorified uh, in your words. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As a Christian, have you ever wondered what it would take for an unbeliever to be converted to Christ? You see, many of you who grew up in, here in Indonesia have had the privilege of growing up in Christian households. And so there's probably never been a period of time in your life where you didn't consider yourself to be a follower of Christ. Perhaps some of you, like myself, became a Christian later on in life. And so you have a clear recollection of the very moment that you came to faith, the very moment that you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been sharing the gospel with people for years and you've never really experienced someone come to faith in Christ. And so as a Christian, you're a bit curious as to what it would take for a sinner to repent and believe the gospel message. Well, ironically, in our passage today, that's exactly what happened to the people who listened to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. You see, they became Christians. They embraced the gospel message, repented of their sin, and believed. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to preach the gospel message with clarity as he also worked alongside of Peter by working in the hearts of those who heard his message. And you'll notice that throughout his sermon, Peter reasoned with his audience by taking them through certain sections of the Old Testament in order to prove his claims about Jesus. And this tells us that Peter wanted the Jews to think logically and rationally about the life and ministry of Jesus. And so to analyze that alongside of what he was saying. In other words, Peter wanted them to realize the logical nature of Christianity, that according to the teaching of scripture, the death of Christ made sense. You see, many of the Jews who were present that day were most likely some of the very same Jews who called for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. They asked for a murderer to be released to them instead of the Son of God. And as a consequence, they also mocked Peter and the other disciples when they spoke in different languages on the day of Pentecost by claiming that they were drunk with wine. And so Peter then said to them, look, all of you knew Jesus. You knew about his life and ministry, and you even witnessed some of the miracles that he performed. You know that he died on the cross and that he was crucified. Well, I'm telling you that God raised him from the dead. And we saw, we watched as he was ascended into heaven 
where he know, will renew now that he is seated at the right hand of the Father until he returns. And because of his ascension, the Father has now sent the Holy Spirit, which he has now poured out upon us in your very presence this day. And this Jesus, brothers and sisters, is the same Jesus that you yourselves crucified and being pierced to their hearts with guilt over their sin. They then said to Peter and the other disciples, what shall we do to be saved? And what I want us to notice in our passage today is how Peter responds to their question. He responds to it by listing three things that are necessary for a person to be saved. Three very important things that provide evidence that we've been truly redeemed as sinners. First, we must hear the gospel with conviction, verse 37. And second, we must repent and obey, verse 38. And lastly, we must respond to God's call, verses 39 through 41. But first, if we are to be saved, we must hear the gospel with conviction. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So when Peter had finished speaking boldly about Christ, the very first thing that happened was that many people in the crowd were cut to the heart. And the Greek word translated here as cut to the heart uh, literally means to pierce or to stab. In fact, the word was used by the ancient Greek poet Homer uh, to describe horses that were stamping their hooves upon the earth uh, in an effort uh, to make noise. And so, in other words, what this passage is telling us is that after Peter's sermon, people were so pierced to their hearts by the truth of it that they fell under an amazing conviction of their very own sinfulness before God. You see, their hearts were pierced with guilt, as if it was being stumped on by a multitude of horses. And so they were guiltiness over their own sinfulness, as well as their need of mercy and grace from God. They were completely devastated. Why? Because through Peter's preaching, uh, they had finally come to realize that they were all personally guilty of killing the Son of God. And so once they were given a true understanding of that, their hearts were pierced. You see, they finally took ownership of their part in crucifying the Messiah. But the question is, how did they even arrive at that understanding of themselves in the first place? How did they come to know and embrace the fact that they were guilty of killing Jesus? I mean, we've already seen that uh, most of these people had experienced the preaching and ministry of Jesus himself, right? They had experienced his ministry, and yet they still rejected his message. I mean, they even saw Jesus personally with their very own eyes. They heard him claim to be the Messiah and worked several miracles in their midst, and yet they continued on in their unbelief. So what changed? What happened? Why were they now all of a sudden pierced to the heart at the preaching of Peter, a mere fisherman at that. I mean, how can the hearts of people who were so very hardened now be receptive to the gospel message? Well, I think there's a passage in the Bible that explains to us very clearly what happened to these people as Peter preached. 
And it is found in the book of Ezekiel. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God makes a promise to his people. And there he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all of my rules. You see what happened to these people who were cut to the heart at the preaching of Peter is that all of them were regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of this prophecy of Ezekiel. That means that the scripture was being fulfilled right in their very midst at the very same moment that Peter was preaching to them. In other words, their hearts were completely transformed as they now understood and acknowledged their guilt before God, which is what caused them to be receptive to the very same gospel that had, they had rejected earlier on before. And those of us who came to faith in Christ uh, as young adults can probably relate to their experience, right? You know, I, I remember my own conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ in the year 1998. You see, even though I had never gone to church uh, prior to my conversion, I had heard the gospel being faithfully proclaimed on several occasions. But apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, it meant nothing to me. You see? Why? Because I was never really personally convicted in my heart that I was a sinner. And I certainly didn't feel the need to repent of any sin that I didn't feel guilty of committing. You see, until I was regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when I was cut to the heart over my sin and convicted of my personal need for a Savior. You see, at that very moment, I finally understood that Jesus died for my sins on the cross. And it was only then that I acknowledged my guilt before God and I became receptive to the gospel of Christ. And why was I now receptive to that gospel that I had spurned on other occasions? Because I had been regenerated and I now had the ability to believe the good news about Jesus. But much like the people in our passage today, in order for me to embrace the gospel, my heart had to first be pierced by the power of the Holy Spirit. And only then was I able to hear the gospel with conviction. Are you a Christian today? Has your heart been pierced and convicted by your sin? You know, as Christians, all of us are guilty in one way or another of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is that as Jesus hung on the cross for our sins, he did it just as much for us as he did for these people in Peter's day. You see, um, the same guilt that led you to repent of your sin, if you're a Christian today, is the very same guilt that is described in our passage today. You see, Jesus hung on the cross for all sinners, for all times. And so we're all just as guilty of crucifying him as if we were right there with the Romans as they pounded the nails into his very hands. And so our reaction to the gospel today, much like the people in our passage should be one of utter guilt and devastation over our very own sinfulness before a holy God. Our hearts should be pierced for what we have done personally to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the main reason 
brothers and sisters, why the gospel is called the good news, because it first begins with the bad news of our guilt and sinfulness before God. You see, there can be no real conversion in a person's life unless he has first been convicted of his guilt over his sin. And so the question for us this morning, the question for you and me this morning is, has our hearts been pierced? Have we felt the heart-shattering love of God, that love that first wounds us so very deeply as sinners by piercing us with conviction of our very own sinfulness before God in order that it might then heal us by soothing our burdened hearts with the promise of forgiveness. And this is what the poet Oscar Wilde was referring to when he wrote, Ah, happy they whose hearts can break and peace of pardon win. How else make man make straight his plan and cleanse his soul from sin? How else but through a broken heart may the Lord Christ enter in? And my friends, this is the very heart of the Christian message, that our hearts must first be broken and convicted before our, because of our sin before we can truly turn to God and experience the pardon and forgiveness that he so freely gives to sinners. And so in order for us to be saved, we must, brothers and sisters, hear the gospel with conviction. And our second point is that in order to be saved, we must repent and obey. Look at verse 38, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now notice that after the people was convicted of their sins before God, they then turned to Peter and said, what shall we do to be saved? And interestingly enough, the very first thing that Peter says to them is to repent. And you might remember that um, repentance in this passage means metaneo, right? It has a reference to a person who's been, whose worldview has been completely changed about life so that they turn away from sin and turn towards God. And if you're familiar with this, if you've had any personal experience with this, you might be aware that this is a very difficult thing for a sinner to do because it requires them to admit that all of their lives they've lived in sin and error but they've now come to accept the truth in Jesus. Um, if you've ever tried to witness to a, a non-Christian before and the person kind of got offended and even pushed back a little bit at the gospel message that you were presenting to them, you kind of get the idea of just how difficult it is for a sinner to accept the gospel. You might've even wondered, uh, you know, did I say or do anything wrong? But you see, on the contrary, you probably gave a very accurate representation of the gospel message so that the person realized that if they accepted the truth of the gospel that you were presenting to them, that you were proclaiming, it would then cause them to have to completely abandon everything that they had ever believed before. Everything that they believed about God, about themselves, about eternity, about their relatives and loved ones, and so on. And on top of that, they would even have to admit that all of their lives up until this very point, they had been living in error and blatant disobedience to God. And that can be a very difficult thing for a sinner to do. 
You see, it's really hard for a person to accept the truth claims of Christianity because then they'd be forced to also accept the truths about themselves. And that can be extremely traumatic for a person. And this is exactly why true repentance can only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if left to ourselves as sinners, we would never be willing to repent in this sense. And so by telling uh, us to repent in our passage today, Peter was calling the Jews not only to admit that they were wrong about Jesus, but also to admit that the religion that they had practiced from their youth was likewise also wrong. And in doing so, many of them would also have to admit that the religion that their parents and relative, relatives practiced was also wrong. You see, they had to accept the fact that in and of themselves, they were not good people. Instead, they had to believe that they were sinners, right? Bad people who needed to be saved before God, who were guilty before him. They could only be saved by faith in Christ apart from anything that they could accomplish or achieve on their own. You see, the gospel can be very offensive to the sinful human heart, right? I mean, all of us have had to accept this very same truth about ourselves. And at some point, if we've embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of our sins, we had to admit that we were not good people. Now, I want you to notice the order here, how... Peter's audience had to first be brought to conviction over their sin before they were commanded by Peter to repent of it. You see the order of salvation here that this is giving us. We must first come under conviction for our sins, and then we're brought to repentance over them. And this tells us that only those who are genuinely convicted of their sin before God are even able to repent because they are the only ones who realize they need it. You see, those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick, Jesus said. And that's exactly why all pre-planned or calculated methods by Christians to bring sinners to repentance is all futile, right? And it's actually unbiblical because true repentance, brothers and sisters, is a work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and it's not a work of the flesh. It's something, it's not something that we can just conjure up in our own power and recreate. No, instead as sinners, we must turn to God and plead with him for the power and the ability to believe the gospel message. So if you're listening to this sermon today and you realize that you have not yet repented of your sins, please brothers and sisters, I beg you, do not put it off. Please don't tell yourself, I've got time, I'll do it later. No, don't put it off until later. Because when you think that way, it proves that you really don't understand the nature of true repentance. That it can be, uh, that it, and that's extremely dangerous for us, right? Because the Bible tells us to seek the Lord while he may be found in order to beg him for mercy. The mercy to repent and to embrace the gospel message about Jesus. You see, God offers his forgiveness to the very worst of sinners, right? How do I know that, right? Well, because the very same crowd here that Peter is addressing in our passage today is the very same crowd that shouted 
for the crucifixion of Jesus. And now, by grace, they've been brought to repentance by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this tells us that no sinner, no sinner, however bad he may be, is beyond the reach of the gospel. That even the worst sinner can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be forgiven of his sins by repenting and believing the gospel message. And so Peter tells us that the first thing that we must do uh, to be saved is to repent of our sins. But also, Peter tells us that we must also obey. Look at verse 38 again. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so the Greek word here for baptize can either be to uh, immerse or to dip. Uh, and so by commanding his audience to be baptized, uh, Peter was simply uh, obeying this great commission of Jesus, right? Because Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, according to Jesus, sinners must first become disciples when they repent and believe the gospel. And then and only then are they to be baptized. And so logically speaking here, Peter is commanding people to be baptized who have already repented of their sins and received Christ by faith. And the reason I say that is because there are some Christian denominations today that teach baptismal regeneration, right? They actually teach that uh, baptism is necessary for salvation, or in some cases that a person is not truly regenerated until he or she has been baptized. But you see, Peter's intention is this, in this passage here is certainly not to teach baptismal regeneration, right? Uh, you know, uh, that, that's a lie. That's the false. Where you say, okay, if Peter isn't teaching uh, baptismal regeneration, then why does he mention baptism alongside of repentance? And why is baptism so very important? Well, the reason that Peter mentions baptism alongside repentance is because baptism itself is a physical and outward sign of a true inward spiritual reality of faith in our hearts as believers. And that's what baptism itself is meant to symbolize, because baptism itself does not save anyone, right? Since it's commanded by Jesus, we as Christians should and ought to commit to baptism in obedience to him. And as we do so, we proclaim his death and resurrection, that we genuinely believe in it and embrace it for ourselves. We embrace that reality in our hearts. Uh, one commentator put it like this. It must be clear that baptism is no more required for becoming saved than putting on a jersey is required to officially become a member of a sports team. No, a person becomes a member of a team when he or she signs the contract. Baptism then, like the jersey, is an outward public sign and not a requirement in and of itself. Similarly, Christians are saved by grace through faith and not by our baptism. I think that is very well said. In other words, baptism is a picture uh, of the cleansing of sin in our hearts. But baptism in and of itself does not bring repentance. And if this is true, then it's fair to say that a person can obviously be baptized without being a Christian, right? Because it's possible that he or she could have that outward sign of the faith without having the inward reality of it 
in his or her hearts. And that is a sad situation. And so we need to be very careful not to confuse the outward sign with the inward reality of it. But, brothers and sisters, we also need to be careful as Christians because, you know, we can be straight on this issue of baptism, but we can also deceive ourselves by replacing baptism uh, with some other work that we ourselves substitute for the grace of God. Let me give you uh, some examples here. You know, uh, you know, maybe we think we're Christians because we once walked down an aisle and fell on our knees in sorrow and tears over our sin. Or maybe we believe that we're Christians because, because of some spiritual experience we experienced in our past, right? Where we repeated a prayer or got emotional uh, during a worship service. Now, don't get me wrong, because there's nothing wrong with these experiences in and of themselves. But if we're basing our salvation on something other than our faith and repentance and obedience to Christ, we're in danger, brothers and sisters, of distorting the gospel message. Because it's only the work of Christ on the cross that saves us and definitely not our own works. And so Peter is asking us today, he's asking you and me, are our hearts genuinely broken over our sin? As Christians, do we repent and fall at the feet of Jesus whenever we fall short or go astray from the path of righteousness? You see, true repentance sets us free to continue on in our sanctification and obedience by turning to Jesus whenever we for, uh, fall short, turning to him for forgiveness, uh, that we may be forgiven. And so in order to be saved, Peter is telling us that we must hear the gospel with conviction. Second, we must repent and obey. And then lastly, we must respond to God's call. Look at verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so Peter uh, begins by stating that the promise of salvation is available to everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, right? And so Peter here is referencing both Jews and Gentiles alike, which includes their children as well. In other words, when you repent, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise of salvation belongs to you, regardless of your social status, regardless of your place of origin, regardless of, of your ethnicity, etc. And notice here uh, the, phrase that, uh, the phrase that Peter uses here at the end of verse 39. He refers to those who respond to the gospel message as being called by God. Now, this is a remarkable statement, brothers and sisters, because it it indicates to us that as sinners, we don't go looking for God, no. Instead, God comes looking for us. We don't go searching for God, but he does come searching for us. And you wanna know something else? According to what Peter is saying in this passage, he finds us. You see, Jesus says that he would not lose anyone who had been given to him by the Father, but he would raise that person up on the last day. And friends, this tells us that God's plan of redemption is global in scale and that God himself is actively seeking to save lost sinners in each and every generation for all time. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This is very good news if you're listening to this sermon today and you're not quite sure if you're a Christian. 
because perhaps God is calling you right now at this very moment to respond to the gospel message and to receive Jesus Christ by faith. If right now, brothers and sisters, there's a hunger in your hearts to know God savingly, please know that that desire becomes from him. It comes from him. It did not start with you, brothers and sisters, but it started with God. Perhaps God is working in you, drawing you closer to himself. Will you respond, brothers and sisters, and embrace Christ by faith? Don't wait. Don't put it off another day. If you are a Christian already, this news should cause you to respond faithfully as you share the good news of the gospel with unbelievers, knowing that it is God who is working in you and through you to accomplish his good purposes and the plan of redemption. Why? Because the God who is eager to save lost sinners also uses the means of preaching and witnessing to unbelievers to make them respond to the call of the gospel. So our passage today is further evidence of this fact as we're told that God added 3,000 people, 3,000 souls to the church through the faithful proclamation of the gospel by, by the Apostle Peter. Wow, that's an incredible illustration of the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people in one day. And as Christians, I don't, I don't think this number is meant to discourage us, but rather I think this number is uh, meant to encourage us. You see, it's not meant to make us pessimistic about evangelism, but optimistic about it. Right, So that we may join the work that God is already doing. For he alone is able to do all things because our God is a God who is very eager to save sinners. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this message. Father, we ask that you would bless it to our hearts, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are eager to seek and to save the lost. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.